Life is busy. Every day we ask questions like, what's happening today? What should I wear? How am I gonna fit everything in? But then there are bigger questions like, why am I here? What's my purpose? Where am I heading? Is there more to life than this? These are some of life's big questions, but there's rarely enough time to think them through. That's why Alpha exists. Alpha is a place to explore life's big questions in a safe and open environment. It's a series of sessions where anyone can share their thoughts and opinions and ask questions without feeling judged. When you come to an Alpha, you'll notice that first, there's food. Whether it's a full meal or a light snack, this is the time to get to know each other in a casual setting. Next, you'll watch an Alpha talk. The talks are created to engage and spark conversation. They explore big issues around faith from a Christian perspective. After the talk is a time for discussion. This is the most essential part of any Alpha. It allows everyone to share their own opinions on the ideas presented in the talks. It's a time for people with different thoughts, beliefs, and experiences to ask honest questions and have open conversation. Every week, there are guests coming for the first time to an Alpha in their community. Alpha is for everyone, regardless of background or beliefs. There's no pressure, no follow-up, and it's completely free to attend. Come and explore life's big questions. Find an Alpha near you today. You don't have to look very far to find an Alpha near you because FPC is going to be running one in the fall. And so we, yeah, we're, um, we did this in the spring and we're excited to bring it back. Alpha is this uh, interactive experience where once a week we'll get together, uh, get to know each other, eat food together, build relationships, and then watch a little talk on uh, the Christian faith and then discuss it together. And so really it's an opportunity to go and engage people who wouldn't really consider themselves Christians, uh, maybe aren't super comfortable going to church, but it's a safe place to come and talk and be honest and present the gospel. And so we're excited to be running that, wanted to put that on your radar. If there's someone that you would like to bring and come with them to Alpha or a neighbor that you would want to invite, be thinking about that. It's uh, August 28th will be the kickoff. Wednesday nights we're doing it, and we're not doing it here. We're doing it down at Farm and Flower, which is a coffee shop on First Street. We're going to kind of take over. Once they close, we'll come in at uh, 7 o'clock and have the whole space. And so we're excited about just having that experience there. So be praying about that. Be thinking about that. Because we want to engage our world with the message of the gospel and share the love of Jesus with a world that so desperately needs him. Uh, this week, we were reminded again of uh, the darkness in our world and the evil at work as I woke up this morning to news of more mass shootings, this time in um, El Paso and in Dayton. And of course, closer to home last week, we know that Gilroy had a traumatic event there. And so I uh, come with, with a heavy heart this morning as I woke up and read about that, and I, I hope that you do as well as you just take a look around our nation and see just the senseless violence and hatred and uh, horrible loss and death going on in our world. So it, it grieves me 
deeply, and I just wanted to have a moment where we could pray together as a church, uh, to pray for those families and communities affected, uh, to pray for God's grace. And in, in Psalm 13, Scripture gives us language for moments like this. Psalm 13 says several times, how long, O Lord? How long? It's, just, it's a lament where we cry out, we look at the brokenness of our world and even in our own lives and we say, how long, O Lord, will this continue? We, we ask you to intervene. We ask you to bring your peace and your healing and your justice in this world. And so let's uh, pray together. Father, we cry out to you on behalf of our nation and on behalf of these communities in El Paso and Dayton and here in Northern California, Lord, and Gilroy that have seen these mass shootings, this violence, and our hearts are grieved as we look at the loss and the evil at work around us. It's devastating, Lord. We cry out, how long, Lord? We ask for your intervention. We ask for your peace to come. We ask for you to change hearts, transform lives through the gospel of Jesus Christ. We pray for healing in our land and in our world. Lord, we also pray that you would give great wisdom <clears throat> to our leaders, give wisdom to those in power, to those who write legislation and laws. Lord, I pray you would give them wisdom to know what steps they can take to address this, Lord. Give us wisdom to know how we personally can be agents of love and grace in our communities to bring your healing, Lord, your power, your gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ and salvation more and more. So we, we thank you that you're close to the brokenhearted, to those families waking up this morning, having lost a loved one. Just pray you'd bless them, Lord. And now, Lord, we ask for your help as we turn to your word. Would you guide us as we jump in? to Matthew 18 today. It's in your name we pray, Jesus. Amen. All right, well, it's a joy to be together, really. I'm so glad that you're here. Welcome. Uh, open with me in your Bible to Matthew chapter 18. We're going to be starting in verse 23. Again, Matthew 18, verse 23, where we're continuing our parable series that we've been in for the summer, where we're taking a parable, a story that Jesus taught, and each week we're diving into it together as he teaches us about himself, as Jesus teaches us about the kingdom of God and about how we are to live. So we're just going to jump right into the text together and read it. Matthew 18, verse 23. It says, Therefore the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. As he began the settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 bags of gold was brought to him. Since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all that he had be sold to repay the debt. At this, the servant fell on his knees before him. Be patient with me, he begged, and I will pay back everything. The servant's master took pity on him, canceled the debt, and let him go. We know that forgiveness is at the heart of the Christian faith, and yet you don't have to be a Christian to value forgiveness or to think that forgiveness is important. 
In fact, if you ask probably anyone today, they'll tell you that forgiveness in general is a good idea. In general, forgiving others is a good practice, and even psychologists and non-Christians will affirm the positives of forgiveness. Researchers will even tell us of the health benefits of forgiving other people, that you'll live longer, according to research, and sleep better and have lower blood pressure and less stress in your life if you forgive people. So plenty of people say, hey, forgiveness, it's great. But most people would also acknowledge that forgiveness is really difficult. Forgiveness is really hard. It doesn't always come naturally to us, does it? I mean, let's be honest, how many of us here by raise of hands has wanted to slap someone in the name of Jesus? <laughs> Come on. We've been there, right? We've been there. We've been frustrated with people. We've been hurt and wounded by other people. We've been wronged by other people, and it's hard to forgive. Sometimes this happens with small things, like the way someone talks to us at work, the way maybe our spouse is short with us in conversation and a little rude after a long day. Maybe it's with bigger things, though, when people betray our trust or abandon us or work against us, gossip about us. These wounds can be large. And so whether it's small things or large things, forgiveness can be difficult. And so Jesus this morning in this parable is going to teach us about forgiveness and he's going to teach us really the key to forgiveness, what we need to know to truly be able to forgive others well. Let's take a look at the text again, verse 23. It says, Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. As he began the settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 bags of gold was brought to him. And since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all that he had be sold to repay the debt. So we meet this servant in the text who owes a great debt to his king. 10,000 bags of gold, the NIV says. Actually, the original Greek says it's 10,000 talents. This was a staggering amount of money. One talent was roughly equivalent to 20 years' worth of wages that a laborer would earn. And Jesus is actually doing something interesting here because a talent was the largest denomination or unit of money one could think of back then. And 10,000 was the largest Greek numeral. And so Jesus is saying the largest amount of money multiplied by the largest number that we have, that's how large this debt was. It was as large as you could possibly imagine. One commentator wrote that this perhaps represented more than all the actual coinage in circulation in most kingdoms at the time. I mean, so an English equivalent would be roughly a hundred kajillion dollars. Seriously, it's just uh, an unfathomable amount of money, almost comically large how big this debt is. And the point that Jesus is making is he has no chance to repay it. No shot whatsoever. And he's in deep trouble because of it. You see that in the text as it continues. Verse 26. At this, the servant fell on his knees before him. Be patient with me, he begged, and I'll pay back everything. The servant's master took pity on him, canceled the debt, and let him go. Now, 
The servant here claims he'll pay it all back, but as we've just discussed, that was not possible. There's no way he would be able to. And yet, the king is gracious. The king is merciful. The king forgives him. He cancels the man's debt and lets him go free. Now, just as that amount of money would be an outrageous debt, so this act of forgiveness would be an outrageously gracious act for a king to forgive so freely and such a debt be unheard of. Now, if you've been here for some time, you probably know what I'm about to say. You probably know where I'm going with this and what this picture here means for us. See, if we reflect on this image, this picture Jesus has painted for us, we are reminded of the gospel. We are reminded of what Jesus has done for us. See, as we look at this servant and his debt, we are reminded of our great debt before God. We're reminded of our great debt before a holy and righteous God because we sin and we fall short of God's standard. More than that, we have rebelled, we've turned from God and set ourselves up as kings and queens. The Jews in Jesus' audience would know this because the Old Testament refers to sin as a debt we owe to God, a debt before the Lord because of our rebellion. We've dug ourselves collectively and individually into this inescapable hole with no chance to make things right on our own. And we see here that the problem of sin and judgment, it's not just an Old Testament thing. Not just an ancient Jewish concept. We see it here in the New Testament on the lips of Jesus. Jesus talking about sin and debt and its consequences. What it has brought us before God before a holy God, a righteous God who hates sin. It's a big problem for us when we have rebelled against God and found ourselves in such a place. But here in this text, we're also reminded of the good news, aren't we? We're reminded of the mercy of God, the grace of God, the love of God, that God cancels our debt if we come to him and ask. God redeems us through the work of Jesus. God forgives us. And more than that, he doesn't just cancel the debt and forget about it. He actually pays it himself on the cross through the work of Christ. Romans chapter 3 explains it this way in verse 22. This righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There's no difference between Jew and Gentile, for all have sinned. Again, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and all are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of his blood to be received by faith. Here we see the doctrine of justification by faith. Can we say that together? Justification by faith. Very important in the scriptures, reminds us that we are justified. We are made right with God, declared righteous before God, not through our works, not through your good behavior, not through your ability to clean up your life. 
You don't dig yourself out of the hole. You can't repay the debt. We're justified how? Through faith. Through faith in Jesus Christ and what he has done for us. This is the gospel. And see, what we do today, the problem where we get in error is we often think about our sin as a really small thing, a really small matter. We make little of, of sin, our debt. It's not that large, not that big of a problem. God wasn't really all that bothered by it. See, it, can be, it can be uncomfortable, let's be honest, to talk about sin, hell, and judgment. Those can be hard conversations. And so what we want to do is we say, well, our sin wasn't that big of a deal. Just move quickly past that topic. Or we say, well, maybe some people really needed to be rescued completely, but I was doing okay. And, you know, Jesus gave me a boost, like he helped my life a lot, so thanks, Jesus, for that, but let's not get carried away. Sometimes we do this out of fear. We're like, you know, if I'm really honest about the depths of my heart, God won't love me, God won't accept me. If I'm really honest for the things I'm thinking right now and where I've been and what I've done, then people won't want to be around me. People won't want to share their life with me if they really knew. Or we think that, well, if I acknowledge my own depravity, it will lead to depression and despair. And so we just want to get on with the positive talk and the positive thinking. But we have to look at this part of the story. The gospel doesn't make sense without this part of the story. God's grace doesn't make sense without our debt. And But our debt is only part of the story. So yes, we talk about debt and our sin, but we also point people to the good news of God's love and grace, how he has saved us through the person and work of Jesus Christ. So we have to realize both our debt and our sin, the problem and the solution, Jesus Christ. You know, we come to a realization like this in other ways in life, especially as we become adults, hopefully, as we become adults and we start adulting, as they say. We have responsibilities. We have to pay bills. We have to go to work. We have to keep little humans alive and pets and plants and things like that. Especially if you have kids of your own, you see this. But when you're a kid, you don't really realize all that that costs someone, right? When you're a kid, you're growing up, your parents they, just, they buy your clothes, and they give you your food, and they take you around and drive you where you need to go, and they change your diapers, and they do whatever needs to be done for you. It's very rare that a baby is having their diaper changed, and they turn and they say, Mama, Dad, thank you so much. <laughs> this is so meaningful to me. I'm so grateful. It takes time, maturity, for us to grow and see, wow, and don't we come to a place as we get older Maybe it's when you become a parent and you say, wow, I had no clue. <laughs> Maybe just as you become an adult and start working, mom and dad, I had no idea what this cost you. I had no idea the investment you made in me, the time commitment you made to me, the emotional investment you put to me. I had no idea what it cost you. I had no idea where I would have been on my own. Left to my own devices, I would have been in deep trouble. So thank you for all that you did for me. If you haven't told your parents thank you recently, please just go and do that today. They'll be glad you did. We need to have a similar realization in our spiritual walk as we come to Jesus. 
where we don't just say, hey, no big deal, Jesus thinks we're loving me, but we really see the depth of our need. Jesus, I had no idea what it cost you. I see now where I would be on my own. I see now the depth of my need. Thank you, Jesus, for rescuing me. Thank you, Jesus. We have to realize how great our salvation is in Christ. That's what the first part of this parable is showing us. But there's more. The story continues. And we have this servant. Let's call him Sam, shall we? Sam, the servant. He has this incredible experience of mercy and grace from the king. This life-changing, transformative encounter where the king cancels his debt. And he leaves that place and he goes and he comes across, we're going to find, a different servant. And that servant owes Sam some money. Now, after this encounter with the king, surely Sam will be gracious with his friend who owes him money. Surely Sam will be quick to forgive, eager to cancel the debts that his friend has before him. Surely that's how Sam will respond. Let's read in verse 27. The servant's master took pity on him, canceled the debt, and let him go. Verse 28. But when that servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred silver coins. He grabbed him and began to choke him. Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. His fellow servant fell to his knees and begged him, be patient with me and I will pay it back. But he refused. Instead, he went off and had the man thrown into prison until he could pay the debt. Oh, Sam. He has been forgiven so much by the king. And yet he comes across a fellow servant who owes him how much? A hundred silver coins. Silver coins reference here would be a denarii, which was about a day's wage. A hundred denarii, which was not an insignificant amount of money, but when compared with 10,000 bags of gold, it's nothing. There's no comparison. The contrast is so stark, and that's Jesus' point. This debt is much smaller in comparison. Sam has just been forgiven so much. And yet, verse 28, he sees this fellow servant who owes him, and what does he do? He goes Jack Bauer on him. He goes WrestleMania on him. He grabs him, he puts him in a chokehold and demands to be paid back. And he even throws him in prison. In debtor's prison, it says until he could pay him back, but really if someone was in debtor's prison, they, prison, they would have no way of repaying someone. So this man's stuck now. So it's ruthless by this servant. Completely Ruthless. I mean, think about this. Let's translate this into modern terms a little bit. And imagine that you owe someone a large debt. Let's say you owe them 100 Chipotle burritos. <laughs> now, I don't know what kind of underground fast food gambling ring mess you've gotten caught up in, but somehow you owe someone 100 Chipotle burritos. And that person comes to you and they say, you know what? I'm going to cancel that debt. Don't worry. You don't have to pay me back those 100 burritos. I forgive it. You'd feel pretty good, right? Pretty great moment. And then you go and you leave. Say thank you. 
and you come across another friend of yours, and they owe you one Chipotle burrito. Hey, you're supposed to buy me a burrito. They say, I'm sorry, I can't. And you choke them. <laughs> and you demand they pay you back, and you call the cops and get them thrown in jail. I mean, I understand that being hangry is a thing. But this is just, I mean, this is just extreme, unacceptable, outrageous, that this man would be so unaware of the situation. The king finds out, verse 31. When the other servants saw what had happened, they were outraged, and we would add, rightfully so, and went and told their master everything that had happened. Then the master called the servant in, you wicked servant, he said. I canceled all that debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't it? you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? In anger, his master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all he owed. Then verse 35, strong words from Jesus. This is how my heavenly father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother or sister from your heart. The king's response is pretty clear. Verse 32, I canceled all that debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? I forgave you. Shouldn't you have forgiven your brother or your sister? Not only did I forgive you, I forgave you so much. I forgave a massive debt you owed. And you couldn't forgive this? You should have said, wow, friend, you know, you and I aren't so different. I've been in your shoes actually quite worse. I know what it's like to be in debt. So of course I'll forgive you. We look at the servant and we say, you know, it's pretty hard to believe that he would be so hard-hearted in a situation like this. And yet, how many of us have difficulty forgiving other people? How many of us hold grudges and are bitter in our hearts and hold on to unforgiveness to those who have hurt us, those who have insulted us or mistreated us or abandoned us in small or big ways? And what this shows us about Sam, the servant here, is that his heart wasn't really changed by the grace of his king. See, today we wonder, what are signs we can look to in our life that we've been transformed by the gospel? How do I know? What's an indicator that God's grace has really changed my heart? And sometimes we say, well, the really spiritual people, the really mature people that I see around, they're the ones who can talk theology really well. You know, I hear them around the church and they sound really wise and they sound really mature. So really, I need to learn how to articulate accurate theology, the doctrine of justification by faith and the atonement and sanctification and all the main movements of the gospel, creation, fall, redemption, and restoration. Now, doctrine's not unimportant. We absolutely should learn what the Bible says about those things. We absolutely should grow in our understanding of the gospel and learn to talk about it, of course. But this parable shows us that the indicator that the gospel has transformed someone's heart 
the indicator of maturity in Christ is not just your ability to talk about spiritual things. It's shown in your willingness to forgive others. It's shown in your willingness to extend grace. How you treat people. See, if we're unwilling to forgive, if we're unwilling to be gracious to those who have hurt us, then maybe it's an indicator that we haven't fully understood the gospel in the first place. Now, this parable comes right after Jesus' command to forgive without stopping, basically. His disciples ask him, how many times should I forgive someone? Seven times? He says, 70 times seven, or 77 times, or however your translation puts it specifically. But the idea is, there's no limit, right, to your willingness to forgive. Go on forgiving, Seems impossible, seems difficult, and to clarify, forgiveness doesn't mean that we stay in abusive relationships or we ignore unhealthy, damaging patterns in our families. Forgiveness does not mean that we will always reconcile with those who have hurt us or those who have wronged us. But forgiveness does mean a willingness to let go of that bitterness in our heart towards that person a willingness to no longer demand repayment from them. We see there's two steps to forgiveness that this parable shows us. The king actually models it for us. The first thing we see the king doing is he identifies the debt. He identifies the debt. See, if you've been sinned against, then someone has taken something from you. I don't just mean they've like stolen a material possession. They've, they've taken something from you. They, they owe you repayment. They owe you a debt. And it's important to be specific about what that debt is. What did this person take from you? How did they hurt you? How did they wrong you? We need to be specific to put words to it. Sometimes what we try and do is we say forgiveness in general. Or we don't even really think about what someone has done to us. Oh, I forgive you in general. We're just going to move past that really quickly. Rather than really identifying the debt, it's very important to say, here's what happened. Maybe someone's gossiping about you. They're saying things that aren't true. Well, they've taken, in some sense, your good reputation. In some sense, they have robbed you of some sort of social standing, or they've robbed you of a good relationship with another person. It's now damaged because of what they have done. Maybe someone has taken away opportunities that you should have. Maybe they've taken away a sense of safety that you should feel. They've taken away trust. So it's important to identify, here's what this person has done. Here's what it's caused in my life. Outline it very clearly, not just in vague general sentiments. And then, step two, we see cancel the debt. Identify the debt. Here's what they owe, and cancel it. Drop the charges. I don't mean that in like a legal law sense. You can still talk to authorities. That might still be a necessary step. But I'm saying, in your heart, drop the charges. Decide that the person who hurt you, they don't owe you anymore. They don't have to pay you back. Instead of trying to get even and gossiping about them in return or seeking to hurt them, drop the case. Don't demand repayment anymore. Choose to close the case and walk away. 
So notice that forgiveness is not, hey, no big deal. Not really going to think about it. Let's just move past it. Let's not talk about it. No, forgiveness is, hey, actually, that was a big deal. Actually, that was very damaging in my life. And here's how, and here's why. And here's what that caused. But I'm going to choose to forgive the debt. I choose to forgive you even still. So again, sounds pretty difficult, right? Easier said than done. But the parable gives us the power for forgiveness, doesn't it? It shows us how we can actually live this out. The servant shows us the answer. He, he should have realized how much he had been forgiven. That should have led him to forgive others, right? Because forgiven people forgive people. That's Jesus' point. Forgiven people forgive people. We have to remember the gospel. That's the power to forgive. Remember how gracious God has been with us. Remember how eternally kind God has been to us in Christ. Remember the gospel because it'll transform our heart and soften our hard hearts and remind us what God has done for us so that we then can give to others what God has given to us. Which points us back to the first half of the parable, doesn't it? We have to remember how great our debt was and how great our salvation is. And so we have to think about how are we to respond this morning. Really, there's two things we could do. The first is we need to receive the grace of God in Christ. For all of us, that's where we have to start, is to realize the grace of God for us in Christ. That God invites you to come to him, to repent of your sin, put your trust in him, and he cancels the debt. And he forgives you fully and cleanses you and gives you a new heart. And brings you into his family. Gives you eternal life and his spirit within you. And a new family in the church. We can't move on to step two if we don't start there. It's an invitation for all of us. You're here this morning. You haven't made that step. You haven't put your faith in Christ. I encourage you and invite you to receive the grace of God in Christ. Then we go from there and we think, how do we give to others what God has given to us? That's step two. We live this out. God in Christ has forgiven us, so we should forgive other people. And now we have to think about this not just in the category of theory or in general, forgiveness is a great idea. I agree with you, Pastor. Sounds cool. All right, let's go. We have to get specific. We have to get specific in our lives. Who has hurt you? Who's hurt you? Who's wounded you? Who's robbed you of something? Who do you need to forgive? Who is Jesus calling you to forgive? Your parents, maybe? A sibling? A spouse? A friend? A former friend? Maybe someone in this room? Someone in our church family that's hurt you or said things about you that you need to address? Many of us want to experience greater healing in our lives. We want to more fully obey God and experience the joy that comes in following him. It's a good thing. Sometimes something that's holding us back is we refuse to forgive others. We hold on to that bitterness rather than obeying Jesus and forgiving. 
And so forgiveness can't just be a good theory we affirm. It has to be something that we practice. Jesus demands it. He said, I canceled all that debt of yours because you begged me to. Verse 33, shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? Forgive as you have been forgiven. Maybe this is something in your life that you've been putting off. Maybe God's bringing that person to mind right now. It's been on your heart. You've had a hard time forgiving. Jesus tells you, as we leave today, to take that step. Move towards forgiveness. I was really struck this week as I was studying and preparing for this passage by the story of Michael Wilkins. He's an author. He actually wrote a commentary on the book of Matthew, so a Christian scholar. And in it, he was sharing his own story of forgiveness. And he talked about how he grew up with his mother and stepfather raising him. And then his stepfather left their family when he was in his early teenage years, ran off, abandoned them. And that caused great pain to Michael's mom and to Michael personally. He had bitterness over this truth and this fact for many years. So much so that years later when Michael grew up a little bit and went to Vietnam, while he was there, he couldn't get his stepfather out of his mind and he made a vow that the next time he saw his stepfather, he would kill him. True story. Fast forward a few years. Michael's home from the war. He has a wife. He has a daughter. Their family seems to be getting on okay, and they get a knock at the door. And it's his stepfather. He looked for him, found him, hunted him down a little bit, wanted to see what was going on in Michael's life now, so many years later. So his wife, being kind and gracious, welcomed the stepfather in, sat him down on the couch, started visiting, talking, seeing what had gone on over the previous years. And Michael remembered his vow as he sees his stepfather sitting on the couch across from him. And he tells him, you know what? When I was in Vietnam, I made a vow that the next time I saw you, I was going to kill you. And today is that day. He said, I'll never forget the sweat that started dripping down his stepfather's face. He'll never forget the, the fear in his eyes, the terror that came over him. But there was more Michael had to say. He continued. He said, but I now know that I'm no better a person than you. He said, God has forgiven me. See, in the years since Vietnam, Michael had become a Christian. He had put his faith in Jesus Christ and started following him. So he went on and he said, you know, if, if he can forgive a sinner like me, I can forgive you. I will not allow you to hurt my family again, so don't think that this is made out of weakness. Rather, I forgive you because I have been forgiven. Michael went on in his writing to explain, I was deeply aware of the mercy and forgiveness that God had extended to me and in receiving the gift of life that Jesus extended to me through his work on the cross, extending mercy and forgiveness to my former stepfather was a natural response. Because forgiven people forgive people. It's a powerful story. He talked about how powerful that moment was. 
how he sensed the presence of God as he forgave his stepfather. So who is it that you need to forgive? We now have a chance as a church to come to the table together and celebrate communion, which is an opportunity to remember the first half of the parable, our great debt and our sin before God. And together we celebrate and we remember that Jesus died for us. We remember the elements, his body and his blood shown in the bread and the cup. His body was broken and his blood was shed for you and for me so that we would be forgiven, whoever would trust in him. And so as a church family, we celebrate the grace of God in Jesus Christ for each of us. We practice an open table here, which means even if you're visiting, if you're from another church or out of town, if, if you're a believer, if you've put your faith in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, we invite you to participate with us. There'll be two stations up front, the elements are gluten-free, so no need to worry there. I'm going to pray for us. The band's going to play, and then I invite you to come forward as you're ready. Jesus, we love you, and we declare that you are our King. You are our Lord. You are our Savior. And as we come to the table, we remember our great need. We come in humility. Lord, we come celebrating the forgiveness of sins that you have given us through your body and blood broken and shed for us on the cross. We love you. We thank you. We remember you today in your name. Amen.